You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. What up, me gente? It's your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. And today, woo, we got somebody that's been in the game, baby. We're going to probably get some good gossip today. I can't wait. About some legends. I mean, she has an amazing book, all right? right now. She's an amazing author. She's an Emmy-nominated showbiz veteran, a long-time host, writer, producer, personality. Oh, my God. I mean, this woman that does it all, and I'm honored to have her on deck with me, the one, the only, the amazing Shelly Herman. Woo! How are you doing? Hello. I'm just trying to see if I can match your energy at least halfway for this interview. <laughs> I mean, you are on. Yeah, let's of course I'm on. What after I after I look through what you've been doing with this book that's out there, what you've done it, and just your 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 ride through the industry. I'm like, wow, you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is the author of My Peacock Tale: Secret of an MBC Page. Let me tell you, wait till you find out the legends and possibly the gossip you probably get on this book. Not gossip, I mean good stories, good stories. I mean, but but some wild stuff. I mean. You've been there, so let's let's get into it. Before I get into the journey, let's get to the origin story, if you will. Where are you well, originally from? I grew up in Calabasas, California, which at the time was like a one-horse town. Now it's like filled with Kardashians, so it's a very <laughs> posh place to live. Also, but, but you, you were one of the original Kardashians, you're trying to say. All right. Uh, well, I, I, some of my assets might fit into that category. <laughs> but I was very lucky. I went to Agora High School. Okay. And one day, a whole bunch of us took a little field trip out to NBC in Burbank, where we went to a taping of the Midnight Special. And for those of you who haven't seen it, he had up YouTube later on. But it was a rock and roll format show. And while I was at NBC, I saw these people standing around wearing these ugly uniforms who were getting paid to usher audiences and listen to rock and roll music all day as part of their job for free. So I thought I could do that because the only thing I had on my resume at the time was volunteering at a local theater as an usher. And little did I know that becoming an NBC page is one of the most coveted entry-level jobs in the entertainment industry and they say the odds of getting into Harvard are better than becoming an NBC page. What? Are you serious? And there's no way I was going to get into Harvard. So I'm glad they took me. So, <laughs> so why the term page? What is a page, if you will? Well, back to, you know, when kings and queens were out there and a page was somebody who worked with royalty as kind of their assistant, their secretary. It was a, a part of a noble job. But for people that need more of a breakdown of it, it's kind of like an internship at NBC. They still have this page program in Los Angeles and in New York, and you are allowed to work for anywhere between a year and 18 months. And in that time, in addition to giving tours and ushering TV shows, you get to kind of hobnob with the people that come in and out of 30 Rock or NBC Universal okay. and see if you can meet your next connection into show business. And and you might not know what you want to do in show business. And that's why this program is so great, because you get to go to different parts of NBC. You might work for the Bravo channel 
or USA or press and publicity or or maybe even marketing. So it, it's a it's a great grad school to be a part of. I love that. I love that. All right. So talk to me. What were the seeds of the inspiration behind the book when you started it? What 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 made you make the leap? I'm very very fortunate to still be very close friends with the core group of people I started with. And we know each other's stories. Our children know each other's stories. They, our grandchildren know some of the stories. But when the pandemic hit and Zoom happened, we were able to reach out to our friends who had moved out of the California area. And pretty soon it was like, oh, well, this person has half a story about somebody and this person has the other half. And these are new stories for us. And suddenly our universe expanded and and people kept saying, somebody should write a book. Somebody should write a book. And I always thought like just really smart people wrote books. So I hadn't really thought about it a whole lot. And then I thought, well, maybe we're all going to die during the pandemic. So <laughs> somebody should write it down. So I just took a crack at it and got a publisher. Really? Was it easy to find the publisher? I mean, was it Was this all new to you in that journey? I did this whole thing bass backwards. I gotta tell you, uh, if, if there if there could be an award for how to do something totally wrong, I would I would win it. I would be the Taylor Swift of book publishing because I wrote it first and asked questions later. So instead of Swifties, we got Shelties. Okay. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> no, I I just kind of wrote what I knew and wrote from the heart, and I hoped that somebody who wasn't an NBC page and people younger than me too would be interested in these stories because it really, aside from like a lot of celebrity name dropping in the book, it's also kind of a how to book of like, okay, now you're out of high school. Now you're out of college. What are some things I can avoid? What are some of the pitfalls I can avoid when, when trying to, to get out there in the job market? And, and like one of the things I always tell people is if you're going up for a job, make people want to meet you, not have to meet you. No. And and that happened with me with getting my job at NBC because long story short, I had gone away on a girls' weekend to Vegas to go see Elvis. And oh, yeah, and then three oh. of the girls I was with took off to go have more fun than I was capable of having at 20 years of age. And I sat with the girl who got us the tickets to see Elvis and she was kind of a wallflower and nobody really paid attention to her. And when I told her I wanted to be an NBC page, she said, well, my mom's best friend works at NBC. Let me see what she can do for you. So she talked me up to the lady. And so they wanted to meet me. They didn't like feel obligated to meet me. They, they thought I was fabulous before I could even tell them I was fabulous. <laughs> there we go. There we go. That's awesome. So, all right. So you did the page thing. So how did you, let's talk about this then. So you promised to reveal in the book secrets of being an NBC page. So can you share one of the most amusing or unexpected stories from that time? You know, not spoilers. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't mind spoiling it because there's, there's a lot of, of stories. Right, um, I, w- I would think that, you know, when, when they put us into the page program, they didn't have like a training manual. So we just were kind of flying by the skin of our teeth. And I would always make it a point if I got the one o'clock tour that I would make sure we just happened to be at the artist entrance when Johnny Carson, the host of the Tonight Show at the time, when he was arriving in his Corvette and he was the biggest 
star that was at NBC continuously while I was there. So Johnny would look out at the crowd and, you know, he would say something like, you know, get your money back. The tour is a ripoff. And, you know, and everybody, <laughs> oh, Johnny! you know, and it would, it would make for a, a wonderful, yeah. a wonderful experience. We wouldn't have to say anything on the tour after that. People would just be like, I'm happy. We're fine. We're good. You know, but sometimes we did have to embellish the tour a little bit when, when there was nothing to see and nothing to do, we'd, we'd point out stuff and say, you know, see that mountain over there? That's where Julie Andrews twirled around at the beginning of Sound of Music. It's in Burbank. No, it was Australia, Austria where she was, you know. <laughs> Sometimes, but we, we tried to keep people happy. I mean, we were NBC's ambassadors. So yeah. we really wanted to put up, you know, a good front. But at the same time, we had difficulty sometimes because one of my page pals who's interviewed in the book, he was the page that was assigned to work on the Richard Pryor variety show. Oh, wow. And that really could have been a very horrible situation if it weren't for Richard's friend, Paul Moody, because Richard wasn't feeling up to doing the show that night. And when he did decide eight hours later that he was willing to do the Star Wars bar sketch, which again, you can see that on YouTube, he had said to Paul, I only want to see the first three rows of people be black. I don't want them to be any other ethnicity, just black people sitting in the first three rows. Whoa, whoa. Well, there were 400 people in line already to see the show. And Paul, very discreetly, he was very smart. He went to the back of the line and pulled out young black people who he knew would laugh at Richard's jokes and stuff and keep the energy up. Yeah, and he yeah. got them seated in the first three rows. Now, doing this kind of thing wasn't unusual because, I mean, even if you watch The Tonight Show, when Jay Leno did the show, he would always come out and, like, give high fives to everybody and fist bump and do all that stuff. Yeah. They would purposely put young, good-looking people down front so that, that Jay would have the energy, too. Johnny Carson did the same thing. There was a term we called them DFs, down fronts. We would We would get those people there. So... Even though Richard requested it, he still didn't perform for like another five hours and mm-hmm. and it didn't go well and the police were called and it, it turned into a real mess. And unfortunately, his variety show really didn't do very well after that. Sucks, man. But a rest in peace of those sweet legends. I love Paul Moody. He was hysterical. Oh, oh yeah. A dear so, man. Would you say that's one of your most, what would you say is your most memorable celebrity encounter that you interacted with, actually? And what was that experience like for you? Well, I was really fortunate. My day at work in 1977, when I was at the Emmy Awards at the Pasadena Civic Auditorium. And part part of the job of NBC Pages is picking up celebrities and limousines and taking them to the different events. I mean, it could be anybody from Gilda Radner, who my friend Pete escorted in a limousine. I had two comedy icons. I had Sid Caesar and Emma Jean Coca. What? Yeah. For your fans who are a little bit younger than me, they started what later became role models like In Living Color and Saturday Night Live. I mean, they were the king and queen of comedy in their day. So I had them in my limousine. And later that same evening, I had John Travolta backstage. It's a very sad story. And I really had to think quick on this one, but he accepted an Emmy award 
for his girlfriend who had just passed away from breast cancer. Oh, damn. And he came backstage and he was crying, like ugly crying. Like everything <laughs> out of his face was runny crying. And I grabbed some tissues for him and handed it to him. And then he like grabbed me and in my page uniform and he's hugging me and he's crying and crying and crying. And I said to him, you, you want to get out of here for a while? Because my job was to take him to go meet the press to Absolutely. do interviews. And so I hid him in a dressing room backstage until he composed himself. Wow. And, and then escorted him down a hallway and he gave my hand a little squeeze and he was okay. I mean, and that's the page uniform right there that I was wearing. Oh, <laughs> that that's it. So I'm sorry I washed all of John Travolta's tears off of it. And I just, when I kind of thought my night had calmed down, I quick see a limousine pull up and my friend Jeff Garrett and I go out there and it's Alfred Hitchcock. No way. Stop lying. You, you, you saw Alfred Hitchcock. Not only did I see Alfred Hitchcock, I half carried Alfred Hitchcock. And he, like half of his weight was on me. And, and when you go backstage at a theater, there's all kinds of cables and, and props and things backstage. And, and Jeff and I had to maneuver Alfred Hitchcock through this backstage area to get him to a certain place because he was a surprise guest for the evening. And I had done my senior paper on Hitchcock. And I was like, what do I say? What do I do? I don't want to be like a total geek around him. But at one point he turned to me and he said, you're doing a very good job. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you, Mr. Hitchcock. I did my senior paper on you. Ask me anything about you and I'll answer it. And he kind of smiled and it was very sweet. And so Jeff and I got him to his mark backstage, ran off. The curtain came up and and all the world got to see Alfred Hitchcock on the Emmy Awards that night. That is so amazing. My God. And that's just a taste of what people could be. This, 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 is, this, this is a tad, right, if you will. Oh, yeah. That oh, my God. All right. So were there any has-beens, if you will, that <laughs> any lasting impressions? You know what I mean? Well, has been is kind of a a brutal term. I understand. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? But, but someone <laughs> but no. that everybody's probably forgotten about, but was so big in their heyday that, you know. I mean, there were people that were, like, I did not have a particularly good experience with McLean Stevenson. And that's the, the, the part of the book that's going to be like the Me Too part. And it's it starts off very funny in the book. And then I was just trying to do my job and it went bad very quickly. And I managed to extricate myself from the situation. And, you know, it, it took all these years later for me to kind of realize I didn't do anything wrong. I was just doing my job. And in talking to one of the pages on Zoom, I got the tail end of that story and what gave me the completion for it. And knowing that I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't come on to him in any way. It was just whatever I was going to do, he already had a plan in his head what he was going to do. You know, God. it was one of those oh, things. Oh, my God. First of all, I'm sorry you had to experience that. Thank so you. was that something that was consistent in, in, in your career, a constant? Or, or was that something, you know, every so often? I I kind of laughed when it started happening to me because – I only thought like really tall, pretty girls got hit on that way and got in compromising positions. You know, I'm like a five foot nothing kind of tomboyish 
girl. I didn't think of myself as being like a pretty actress that way. So I, I, I laughed until it wasn't ha ha funny anymore. It was nervous laughter. Oh, wow. But you know, the executives, you know, there were stories of, of them hitting on people, too. But keep in mind, this is like 1976, 1977. And there was a lot of free love before a lot of social diseases that we now have were out. So it, it was a good time for a lot of people and, and consensual partying. Guys used to I hadn't heard this term before, but guys used to pull tail from the crowd when they would come to see the show. So it'd be, you know, like, Hey baby, you want a better seat at the tonight show? And we'll go out and have a drink afterward, you know, but I, I that wasn't my scene. <laughs> this is it. I've heard my, my ex-wife actually came back one day. Cause yeah, I went to a concert and they try to do that shit to her. I, I, I won't blow them up, but you know, cause they're done anyway. They don't have any career. <laughs> oh, okay. They got, they got old. So they're done. That's a perfect example of a has-been. <laughs> yeah. But no, the story, the book is is a loving tribute to my friends who were pages, to this wonderful era at NBC. I, I kind of think of it as a cross between Sex and the City and Mad Men. There's a lot of a lot of stories, a lot of behaviors that people are gonna go, they did what? And that was okay with people. I mean, we had we had one guy who was like, everybody loved this guy. But he had the most vulgar, racist, sexist nicknames for people that that you kind of felt like you were being left out if you didn't get a horrible nickname from this guy. Oh, damn. <laughs> I want to be abused too, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not going to hear my nickname out of me. <laughs> too funny. All right. So how did all those experiences then, you know, shape your career moving forward in showbiz, you know, a host, a writer, a producer, because you expanded, like, boom, amazing, and a salute to you. Woo, Thank you. Yes. A great example for the young ladies out there right here, right? <laughs> well, I can, I can be unemployed in several unions, yes. <laughs> gotcha, 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 but you've done some amazing stuff there. All right, so, so transitioning then from personality from page to personality is quite a journey, right? So what were the biggest lessons you learned during that transition? I think one of the best, two, I'll give you two lessons I learned. The first one is if you don't want to do something for a living, never learn how to do it. Now, I'm sure all of us had parents who said, have something to fall back on. And I thought, okay, I'm a girl, I should probably go learn shorthand because that's what girls did when they worked in a corporate environment. And I thought that would be a way to become an executive. Well, keeping in mind, Brandon Tartikoff and Dick Ebersol probably never knew shorthand, but for some reason I thought that I should do that. And my second day at shorthand school, I came back to work and I was I literally head on the desk sobbing. And a woman came up to me and I, I told her that, you know, I'll never be a big executive. I don't know shorthand. And she said, never learn to do something you don't want to do for a living. And it just opened up so many possibilities for me. And another lesson, and I learned this from a guy who I befriended him at The Tonight Show, thinking that he was just some kind of loser standing around in the hallway. Turned out he was like a big deal guy. His name was Jay Bernstein. Oh, and he went on to, 
have Farrah Fawcett's career, Suzanne Summers, Linda Evans, a big guy. He's since passed away, unfortunately. But I took a job working for Jay, and he was a tough taskmaster. And his advice, well, that he beat into my head, was if you don't know the answer to a question, don't try to bluff your way through it. The best thing to do is to say, you know, that's a good question. Let me look into that. I'll get back to you. Because that way you're not trying to BS your way through something and look like like a total fool. And it also gives you another chance to see this person again when you're prepared and feeling like you're confident and intellectually able to handle a situation. That's so amazing. those are my two tips. That's actually amazing and great advice. I met a gentleman at New York Comic Con in 2019 that kind of told me something similar when approach, you know. You don't need to 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 be the guy. You need to be that go-to guy. You know uh -huh. what I mean? When when you know they call you, oh, can you do that? Sure. You know what? Let me look into that. Give me five minutes. Give me a day. Hold on. <laughs> and done deal. And this guy was apparently a big time guy. I forgot the gentleman's name, but it was a wonderful conversation. And he gave me free advice at this party. Because he was also feeling very happy, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> they yeah. they tend to share. So you know, I love 50 cents. He be, he says, be the soberest one in the room, carry around your cup full of soda or seltzer and let them all be giving you your secrets or you're sober and taking them notes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm all, and, and it's interesting too, because I have a lot of friends who are in the program in, in California. And I always tell them, just have club soda in your hand. Just have a drink because if you're not drinking, people start getting suspicious so yeah, just yeah. have something in your hand. Yeah. Isn't it awful? If you don't drink, I don't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird that way. Why is that, Shelly? I mean, you've been in the game, and you've probably seen that a lot. Have you seen any possible seeds as to why? Because <laughs> I, I think everybody's always checking each other out, whether it's how they're deporting themselves with other people, what they're wearing, what they're eating. And I think everybody always wants to maybe try to better themselves. I mean, that's all I can think of. And they think that if somebody's doing something cool, I should be doing that too. And it just might not be what your vibe is to begin with. There we go. There we go. So now I want to reel it back into the book a little bit over here. Process. A little bit about your process before we go. Give us a sneak peek into that writing process of yours. Uh, any challenges? Memorable moments while writing. How did you piece this together? Did you just have notes that you were bonding, or did this come from memory? And how did you do this, Shelly? Again, I did. I did everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even to the point that I turned the book into the publisher, and I was feeling kind of like, "Oh, is this just some vanity project? Am I just a fool? Why? Why did I do this?" And then something really kind of woo-woo happened. And I'm not like a woo-woo person. And I called the publisher back and I said, I need to write an epilogue for the book. Because I started telling you in the, in the beginning of my book, I talk about I, do, I did a trip to Vegas where we saw Elvis. Okay. And then that's the part of the first chapter of the book. And then something happened to tie my first chapter all the way up to the end of the book and it had really come full circle okay. and and the publisher i said this is what happened and he went oh yeah stop the presses yeah let's add another couple pages here wonderful and 
it it all has to do with coming full circle. And by the time I gave it back to the publisher, I I really felt like, oh, I'm an author. Yeah, this is going to work out. Yeah, this is good. Awesome, awesome. So how, how is the experience thus far being an author? Record? The book is available and out now, correct? Yes, it's available on Amazon and Spotify. Yep. Yeah, and, yeah. And just so everybody knows, we're talking about this beautiful book right here. Look, look how gorgeous that cover is right there with, with the, a, a legend. Grandpa, oh, well, he gave you autograph picture, Shelly? Yes, it says, good luck, Shelly, Johnny Carson. And that's that's me when I was doing a segment of the show called Stump the Band. That's you behind him? That's me. Look, same earrings. I wore these same earrings just for you. Oh, snap. Look at that. Same earrings. And how dare you insult yourself on your looks? Are you crazy? (laughs) You should have seen what was around me. I mean, they were fabulous. I mean, keep in mind, too, while I was there, they were doing the gong show. So there were were a couple losers that were in the bunch, too. But no, mostly gorgeous women. But that's that's my my five seconds of fame on The Tonight Show right there. And I'm very grateful for that. Pardon me? How did you get picked for that? I had the most seniority on the crew that day. So okay. I got to do it, but a friend of mine, Courtney Conti, actually got to do it a few times. And what we would do is we'd give envelopes out to people to, they were trying to sing a song and it was a silly song and Johnny got to ad lib with people and we'd give them an envelope and it would usually be like dinner for two or tickets to Disneyland. But Johnny was chatting up two particularly well-endowed women and, <laughs> and, and having a good time with that. And Courtney went through the envelopes real fast. And he says, he said, ah, this will be good. And he handed Johnny an envelope and he gave these two busty broads a trip on the Goodyear blimp. (laughs) That's fun. Oh, my God. We had a good time. I got to tell you. And that's my my website that you're showing there, mypeacocktail.com. Yeah, I want people to go here because, look, it says here, about Sully in the book, you can contact, you you can know about the book, you'll get inquiries because you see the energy here and the stories. Oh, my God. And you you got more info all over the place. I mean, getting book reviews. This is where you got to go, folks. But it's also, listen, I've been showing this off. It's not just a website where you could. You know, take a, again that that book. You know, Amazon.com. Put this on yourself. You need this shelf porn with, with, with some OG uh, stories over here from from an amazing woman that's had a legendary journey. You know what I mean? And it, it's not too late to start shopping for the holidays. <laughs> exactly. Listen, a stocking stuff for that. Listen, prices are high right now, and, and sharing a book like this is a low cost and wonderful gift that'll provide hours of entertainment. And it's on Kindle, too, for people that don't want to hold a book in their hands. How dare they? Come on. You got to charge that thing. Get a book. You never need batteries. It's available to you all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And not just that. She also has socials. So you can go to two places right here. And they are the same name. So both on Instagram and on Elon's X app over there. It is My Peacock Tale. You got it in the links. Yeah, it's all there. Yep, all all the links are below. I mean, showing the love. So this is what you got to do is support this amazing author. A woman has been in the uh, industry for a minute. I can't wait till that thing is over because I need to have her back so then we can dive in even deeper. <laughs> and, uh, all right, so 
Let's go here. You know, for your, for your wit and humor, how much of your personal comedic style that you infuse into the book? Oh, it's all me all the time. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've been really lucky to reconnect with a group of people that, that I had known years ago. And I, I, I continue to do improv comedy here oh. in the Los Angeles area. So I really credit that also in keeping my brain functioning during COVID and, and, and our reintroduction back into the world again. So be, being able to, to think outside the box a little bit and to be creative and at a certain point just saying, you know, what the heck, I'll tell the story and I'll read it to a few friends. And if they say it's boring, I'll toss it out. But nothing got tossed out. There we go. There we go. So lastly, before we go, Shelly, you know, you were talking about doing improv. So now that's the last question. You know, what's next for Shelly Herman? Are there any uh, upcoming projects or aspirations or places where we could see you, you know, that you want to tell us about? I hoping and putting a lot of my mental energy and prayers. Let's manifest, manifest time. Let's go. What, what do we need to manifest, Shelly? Manifesting a fair and peaceful resolution to the Screen Actors Guild and Writers Guild strikes. Yeah, let's make it happen, folks. And people have to understand that what SAG and the Writers Guild are fighting for with artificial intelligence, AI, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's going to hit your hometowns too. And a lot of jobs that people thought were secure jobs that aren't in the entertainment industry, paralegal jobs, research jobs, pretty soon trucks are going to be driving down the road without drivers. We're trying to set a precedent so that everybody's jobs can be protected. Yeah, across, across it's not just by you guys. It's across as, a, as an industry across. Because if somebody's actually able to make that impact and that point stand, others will follow. Because there's always got to be a leader in this. So you know, I'm with you guys on that from the creative standpoint. That yeah, you know, it's not just about money, folks. You know, please read more into it. You know, the, the corporations will make you believe that. And in the case of with the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild, it's impacting them job wise, but also for the creative content that will be available for people to watch because AI isn't artificial intelligence. It's it's plagiarism. Yeah, it's regurgitation. Yes. And it's not coming up with new ideas or new, new ways of thinking of things. That's our yeah. ideas. <laughs> yeah, and and you you've got to let people think, and you've got to let people express themselves creatively. Because yeah, a computer can draw a painting, but there's but no emotion behind it. There's no soul. Yeah. So I'm hoping for a peaceful resolution, where everybody gets to work again, and then I want this to be a TV series. Yay! <laughs> okay. There That's we go. I, and I want it on NBC. Like a sitcom style? <laughs> Say again? Like a sitcom style? Like a half hour or a one hour drama? I'm thinking of it kind of, again, like like a Sex in the City streaming type of show. Ooh. Because the, yeah. there are some naughty bits in the book. Well, hey. And, and I think that that really needs to be explored. Kind of like the, the way Madman was too. Like you, you, you watch that work environment and you go, how did anybody get anything done? But we did. <laughs> <laughs> the magic happened, folks. Don't you worry. It got done. 
All right. Oh, Shelly, you, you've been amazing. I, I think the energy, I'm digging the vibe. I can't wait till that strike is over. I, have to, I definitely want to back. So then we we'll get dive a little bit deeper into that other side that you've been into. So I, I was definitely very curious about that because I know a lot of young ladies that definitely need to hear these type of stories, you know, how you did it compared to now, you know, and see you know, how much harder you had it actually then. And you're uh, definitely a, a pioneer. So, you know, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and hit me up anytime if you want me to uh, to to tell you more stories or to or to just like like you were saying, like how to how to you miss some of the potholes along the, the road to success. Because I, I know a lot of people that let those kind of things stop them for I don't want to say pursuing your dream because it sounds like so much like American Idol and yak, yak, yak. I don't <laughs> believe in I don't believe in dreams, I believe in goals. Yes. I believe that once you say this is what I want to do then you find a way to do it in a way that you're not going to get arrested or, you know, offend people, but identify your goal and then figure out how you would advise your friend to do it. Cause you could probably give advice to your friend better than you could take advice from yourself. And, and that's the truth. Amen. The truth. A hundred. That, that is wow. Factually. That's a hard fact. Some people don't want to face that truth, but it's the real truth. Thank you for sharing that. Amazing. And again, folks, you see the incredible Shelly Herman. Socials below. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for hanging out. You need to buy this book. There's going to be an amazing stocking stuff for for, your, for Christmas, for yourself. You know, people are taking trips, those long drives for Thanksgiving, right? So as your spouse or significant other, whatever, drives that car, you know what? You sit back, relax, and read that book. You know, give your kids a video game and some headphones and shut them up that way, all right? And you know what? It's a, it's a funny book for all seasons. Well, that's right, baby. But, you know, but people right now want to spend that loot. As you said, they're running out of content. You know what I mean? The more this strike happens, the less stuff to view. Now people got to go back to reading. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> yes, yeah, Shelly to the rescue. Woo! And here we go, folks. Again, thank you for tuning in. I'm Al Mega with the incredible Shelly Herman. Stay keeping us out. Checking us out at Comic Crusaders Podcast, all right? We're number one for indie comics, I found out. All right? That's awesome. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for your support. Woo! Thank you for listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. If you like the content, please subscribe and turn on notifications. Also, please visit ComicCrusaders.com and our extended podcast family over at UndercoverCapes.com. And also, make sure to download the Comic Crusaders app on the Google Play Store today. 